We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am the host. We are recording this early on Saturday morning. Kind of feels like that one time when Tyler, Jason, and I recorded on Saturday morning. Uh, but we're going to push through talking about some undrafted free agents, highlighting, you know, we each chose three. Uh, we'll, we'll briefly talk about the long snapper. Um, but each <laughs> of us chose three undrafted free agents that we wanted to highlight and talk about maybe their chances of making the roster. So, and then we've also got a couple interviews with Chris Harry, the Chargers team reporter, and then Trey Wallace, who covers the Tennessee Volunteers for Rocky Top Insider, talking about Josh Palmer. So some great information uh, from both of those guys. But first and foremost, Tyler and Alex are joining me. Alex, how are you doing today, man? Good. Speaking of Josh Palmer, I've decided if he if he drops the ball this season, it's because he's Canadian. Um, <laughs> and I think that we, we just have to start making that distinction. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Tyler, how you doing, man? Yeah, but he is going to have plus 10 speed in snow games. So I really think he's going to, like, it'll balance itself out. Um, as yeah. far as Chargers Twitter goes, before we jumped on, um, everything seemed to be uh, a conflict. By the time we log off today, maybe the world has ended on Chargers Twitter. We'll find out in about 45 minutes. <laughs> if anyone needs, you know, a good little therapy session, you know, technically I can run some therapy sessions because I'm a school counselor. 
Uh, Tyler is the son of a therapist. So basically between the two of us, we've got you guys covered if you ever need it. Um, but yeah, so we're going to get to this interview with Josh, uh, with Trey Wallace, excuse me, uh, about Josh Palmer first and foremost. Some great information about the Canadian, the former goalkeeper. Uh, so give that guy, so give that a listen. If you're watching on YouTube, again, that's going to be a separate video. Otherwise, the audio version is going to be right now. Hey, Charger fans, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. I'm so happy to be joined now by Trey Wallace, who covers the University of Tennessee Volunteers for Rocky Top Insider. Trey, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today, man? Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you, man. And another busy day in college football, but it is what it is. Just another day in the SEC. <laughs> Absolutely right. The grind never stops. So obviously the Chargers did take uh, Joshua Palmer from the University of Tennessee. I think a lot of Chargers fans were a little, you know, surprised, but what was your kind of general reaction when you saw that the Chargers did take him in the third round? You know, I I, I expected Josh to go somewhere between, between three and five. I did. I, I thought he had enough tape that showed what kind of receiver he was. Maybe not, you know, even the, 20, 20, the 2020 tape. Uh, but I think they could go back and look at the previous years as well and combine and just see what he did against some of the top defensive backs in the Southeastern Conference. And, and I think when they took a look at that, also, he, you know, a shout-out to Derek Ansley as well, right. uh, former defensive coordinator at Tennessee. Um, when you look at what Josh Palmer has put together over the last couple of years, he is a reliable receiver who's going to make big plays for you down the field. And I think that's what the Chargers saw. I think that once they also talked to probably Derek Ansley, and Derek told him, "Hey, man, look, yeah, he was he was tearing our defensive backs up, <laughs> you know, during practice." And once they were able to, to look at film and see what he did against some of the top defensive backs in the SEC, again, I, I think it's a smart move by the Chargers because you know you guys already have a pretty loaded wide receiver room. And this gives him time to learn it, the system, and it also gives him time to build up that rapport. So I, I thought it was a good pick. Did I think the Chargers were going to take him? Nah, that was kind of up yeah. in the air. But they did. They found the spot. They liked him. And I don't think they would waste a third-round pick on somebody they didn't like. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, the competition aspect of things. And, you know, you can add in the senior bowl as well. And that's something that, you know, Brandon Staley has talked about. It's like you saw – Palmer be at his best against the best competition, you know, in the SEC and at the Senior Bowl too. Senior Bowl was big, and that's actually in my hometown of Mobile, Alabama. And so getting to watch Josh, you know, getting to watch him all season, but but getting that close-up version that we weren't able to get on a college landscape because of yeah. COVID, uh, being down there in Mobile and seeing him go up against those guys, um, it, it showed me that he was ready. And it wasn't just, okay, let's look what defense Georgia's running and, and try to go up against it, or what Alabama's running and try to flip Josh to the other side of the field, you know, and, and put somebody at a disadvantage. Right. You saw, you saw at the Senior Bowl where he was going up against the top talent in the country and he was making plays. And I think Absolutely. that's the biggest thing for him too. And I'm sure we'll get into his game because his game is not line up in a slot. His game is line up to the outside, make your plays down the field, and then also a couple posts you can throw in there as well. He's a very, very reliable receiver and also just a fantastic kid. Well, I'd like to go back in time a few years if, if we could. 
obviously, you know, comes from Canada, goes to St. Thomas Aquinas. What do you remember about his recruiting process? And was Tennessee always like a no-brainer? And what can you tell us about his decision to go play football at Tennessee? Well, it wasn't always a no-brainer. You know, coming from Canada and going to play, and I think a lot of people around the country, they know of St. Aquinas High School. Yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a money factor. I mean, they bring <laughs> out some they bring out some really good kids. Um, and I think that when it, with his recruitment, it wasn't always Tennessee. I mean, you you could have thrown Florida State in there, Florida. Um, you could have thrown Michigan in in there. Teams that were going after him, but when you looked at what Tennessee was trying to do with the offense at the time, you know, you have to remember Josh Palmer went through all four and a half years. I mean, at Tennessee. So also that's what one, two, three, three different styles of offense that he was running (laughs) while he was here. I think the staff, I think he bonded with the first staff that was here. I think that the way that he was able to build up relationships with his teammates uh, he could have – I think Josh Palmer is a receiver that could have come out last year. But I don't know if – it would have been five through seven to me. I think with him coming back this past season and getting some more film on tape, especially that South Carolina game where he just makes tremendous catch in the end zone and he's, and he's reliable down the field. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was over 80 yards uh, catching in that game, but you also have to remember the quarterback situation. So going back to recruiting part of it, it wasn't always going to be Tennessee, but the Vols came along strong at the end. Um, I think personally, they kind of found a diamond in the rough per se. Um, and, and him ending up at Tennessee, man, he, he did some great things here. So recruiting was a little bit crazy. It wasn't just Tennessee, but you know, I know fans are glad he ended up here. Absolutely. I'm sure they are. Uh, you mentioned him as a great kid. You mentioned him as, you know, building relationships with the staff and his teammates. What kind of growth did you see, you know, at, from him as a person over the four years that he was in Tennessee? I saw growth from a kid. Soft, I'll just go back sophomore season. Sophomore season where very shy. You also have to remember that Tennessee had players like Marquez Callaway, who's with mm-hmm. the Saints now. They had players like Jawan Jennings. Uh, who's with the 49ers right now, um, they had receivers at the time when, when he first came along. And I'm just naming two. But so it took him a minute to figure out what his spot was at Tennessee. And then from a leadership standpoint, you had two alphas in Callaway and Jennings, definitely in Jennings. He was going to be the guy that was going to be the leader uh, of the group. So when Jennings left, before last season, it gave Palmer the opportunity to be that guy and not just be that guy down the field that, you know, Garantano is going to try to hit, you know, on a 40 to 50 yard pass, but a guy in the locker room. He's a leader. Guys look, took after him and what they did. Um, you know, he, he mentored Jalen Hyatt, who's a receiver here at Tennessee right now, who has, you'll, you'll see him in the NFL one day. But what I'm getting at is that he, he, he kind of – what he did was he kind of let those guys, okay, you're going to be the leaders, and then I'm going to be the leader once you leave. And that's kind of what you saw out of Josh Palmer. He's a great kid. Um, he never got into any kind of nonsense at Tennessee. He handled himself professionally, and, and, and that's what I think they're going to get, you know, with the Chargers is somebody that they know is going to come in there, he's going to put his head in the book, he's going to try to learn the offense, go forward. 
Yeah, and that's something that he even mentioned. You know, I don't know if you happen to see the call that he had with uh, the Chargers when he got drafted. And, like, immediately he's like, I need that playbook. I'm ready to go. And that just kind of speaks to me. like Josh. Yeah. (laughs) So I loved it. I mean, of of all the – you know, the players that that they've had the chance to interview and stuff like that, I think Josh has definitely, you know, shown his personality the most. And, and that's awesome, right, because he's got that infectious personality. Well, it's his worth ethic, too, and that's the thing. This is a kid that would stay 45 minutes to an hour after every practice on the jugs machine, you know, in the wide receiver. You know, he was with T. Martin a lot last yeah. season, learning the playbook. T. Martin, now the wide receivers coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so learning different aspects of how to be that wide receiver that they needed and to be it in the SEC, which is very tough, not taking away anything else from any other conference, but it's just a different ball game. So 100%. you saw him step up, and, and he's a learner, man. He's going to take the time to do it. Oh, man, like, so I went to the University of Utah, right? And every time I watch a college football playoff, I'm always like, this looks like a different sport to me, man. Like, it's just different. So I think you are, you're spot on about the SEC for sure. Well, you know what? It, last year, I take out of the equation because you're playing, unless you're a Texas A&M and you had 60,000 fans in the stands, you know, you were only playing in front of 20,000, 25,000 people. But it yeah. was still college football. And you knew that all eyes were on you. And I would I would tell people this about if you go back and watch tape of, of Josh Palmer, you have to take in to, to notice that Tennessee's quarterback situation was horrible last year. Tennessee played three different quarterbacks last season. Um, and, and, and for him to get the stats and the touchdowns and the plays that you'll see when you Google, go back and, you know, Google the Kentucky game that Josh Palmer had. He had a beautiful uh, one-foot inbound type play against Kentucky in the end zone. He did the same thing against Georgia. Like, you're getting an athletic wide receiver who can make those plays, those 25-yard fades to the corner of the end zone, who can go up and snag the football. That's the big difference to me between him and other receivers that you can put him in different spots, but I promise you, if you test people down the field, he's just going to go up and grab the ball. Well, I was going to ask you next, uh, why should Chargers fans be excited? But I think you kind of just answered it. So um, the last question I kind of have, I don't know if you, you would know this, but he mentioned that he played goalie in hockey. Uh, did you guys get the chance to ask him about that? And how do you think you know him playing hockey would kind of translate to him playing football? Ooh, he's not on skates. I mean, that's, that's the problem <laughs> when it comes to football. But, no, it did. You know, it, it was very cool getting to know Josh and getting to know him off the field is the big thing and learning what he did growing up in Canada, which was, you know, it's hockey. You know, it's yeah. hockey or soccer. You know, that's kind of how it is. Um, but, yeah, he's he's told us those stories, you know, playing goalie, um, you know, uh, skating rinks that he was at and practicing – you know, hockey, and then, you know, in my mind, making that transition from what he was doing in Canada and realizing, man, I can be really good at football. I need to go somewhere that I can grow. And having the guts to do something like that, you go from Canada all the way down to Florida. That is tough. And you're entering a different type of environment when it comes to football. So for him to be able to transition his game and what he was doing and what he was good at, I think that goes to show the growth that he had at Tennessee over the four years that he was here um, and and also knowing that he was ready because Josh could have come back this season. He could have come back this year with a 
maybe a steady quarterback, you know, could have been a first or second round type player. But I think he was comfortable enough in his game that he understood in the tape that he had laid out there that this was going to be the spot for him. And I couldn't be any happier. A third round spot for Josh Palmer, that's exactly where it needed to be. Well, Trey, this has been awesome, man. We think we cannot thank you enough for uh, the kind of info that you've been, you've been able to provide about Josh Palmer. I personally am really excited about him. You know, you've mentioned all the games that he had against these great competition, and, and that's definitely something that I've noticed as well. So thanks again, uh, Chargers fans. If you want to follow Tennessee football, you can follow Trey at Trey Wallace. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Score and at Rocky Top Insider and on Twitter. Again, Trey, thank you so much, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, and I appreciate you having me on. I actually have uh, we actually, I actually did an interview with Josh uh, about a month ago uh, about his training with Anquan Bolden uh, that oh. he did down in down in Florida. So if you want to go back and find that, you can. It's on the Rocky Top Insider page. Very cool article. Josh goes into detail about working with Bolden. So if he's working with Bolden, you know, there's a little different strategy yeah. to his game. So I appreciate you having me, brother. That's awesome, man. Thank you for bringing that up. I will definitely go check that out and uh, definitely tweet that out to our followers as well. So thank you, Trey, so much. You have a good one, man. Thank you, buddy. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. All right, so some great information about Josh Palmer, someone that I think uh, I'm very excited about. We're all pretty excited, you know, after kind of watching and diving the film. But, um, you know, a great person, it seems like, off the field as well. So definitely fits the Chargers culture and what they're trying to build. Um, And I think Trey Wallace did a a fantastic job outlining that. So let's get to some of these UDFAs. As I said, each of us chose three that we are going to highlight so, Tyler, why don't you start us off, uh, you know, who, which three players you got to look at, and then, you know, kind of diving into maybe their chances of making the roster. I, I will start with linebacker Amen Ogbong Bamiga from Oklahoma State. I'm well done. certain I nailed that. Thank you very much. Uh, he was born in Nigeria and moved to the U.S. in the early 2000s. He played football, ran track and field, and was recruited to Oklahoma State by his cousin, Emmanuel Ogba, 
who plays for the Dolphins. I think that's how you say both their names. Um, the good, well, he did play outside linebacker in high school, um, but he did switch to inside linebacker um, at Oklahoma State, and he should stay there at the next level. Um, as far as the stats go, he is top 20 against the run. Um, well, not, well, in both run stops and missed tackle rate, so against the run. Um, excelling typically at just attacking a gap or taking good angles to the ball, uh, to the ball carrier towards the sideline. He's like, I don't want to say he's a poor man's Nick Bolton, but he's kind of like that. Uh, but he's a solid tackler and looks to drive through the ball carrier, not just make impact. Um, of course, he also has 500 special team snaps in his career, and that's you know, that's a plus for these guys. Um, the bad, unfortunately, is while he is top 20 against the run, he has some metrics where he's bottom 20 against the pass. So um, giving up a high completion percentage and NFL passer rating. Um, and then both against the games I watched against Texas and Oklahoma, you know, he can get caught, you know, biting on play action or, or being late to read a passing play or even just being late to, late to reading a, a running back or getting to a running back on a swing route out of the backfield. Um, so, you know, he could, he could have a role in obvious situations, uh, run situations, and, of course, in special teams, but he really shouldn't be on the field right now when it comes to uh, passing downs. Yeah, when I saw that he was uh, voted as their special teams player of the year as a sophomore, I was like, okay, that makes sense why he's yeah. being targeted by the Chargers. Um, so, yeah. Alex, we'll move on to, to your next guy here. Which uh, player do you want to start with? Yeah, I'll start with Eli Stove, the Auburn receiver who, you know, got the interest of the Chargers and is on the team. Um, as far as his chances of making the team, uh, you know, it's a competitive receiver room, right? And we've talked about a guy who was drafted last year and K.J. Hill potentially being cut. The future of Joe Reed is kind of in the air. Um, you really have five slots that are sort of filled in with Keenan, Mike, Josh Palmer, Tyron Johnson, and Jalen Guyton, and then there's this sixth spot that's sort of open. But Stove was a weird one for me uh, because I, I've seen him play before. He was obviously at Auburn behind Anthony Schwartz and uh, Seth Williams, who were both drafted. So he kind of had this log jam to deal with uh, in terms of the depth chart. And obviously his quarterback is Bo Nix, who, you know, has so not panned out, <laughs> not panned out to what Auburn wanted him to be the sequel to Cam Newton. None of that happened. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I think that that hurt him a little bit. But the guy that he reminds me of so much is Joe Reed. Um, I mean, he has about 1,200 uh, receiving yards. He has about 600 rushing yards. Um, I think he missed 2018 due to an injury. But, you know, that's the dude. He, and he also does play special teams. So, you know, it is kind of a very Joe Reed-type signing. Uh, and I imagine that's kind of what he's going to be trying to do uh, in his quest to make the team. Uh, one thing that stood out to me was Michael Peterson posted on Twitter all the RAS scores of the undrafted free agents, and he had like a 2.8. I was like, I watch him on tape, and I'm like, this guy's <laughs> not a 2.8. So what happened here? Yeah. Uh, but I, I looked, and he had an interview with the Draft Network, and apparently he had an adductor strain uh, as he was mm-hmm. doing all of his drills. So, you know, instead of running a 4-4, he runs a 4-5-4, right? And, you know, if you have that thigh injury, it's just impossible to do cone drills and all that. So, um, you know, that may be not a great decision on his part to run it if he was injured, but, you know, he probably didn't have much of a choice because then teams would have been like, well, why didn't you run the drills? They were very easy. <laughs> so uh, I think that was the thing with him. But... Honestly, like, I, I came away from his film pretty impressed. Um, I, again, don't know what his chances of making the team are because it's just so competitive um, in the receiver room as Brandon Staley wants it to be. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I think he has a chance, you know, if you really just break it down to it's him, Joe Reed, who are kind of very similar players, K.J. Hill, um, and Jason Moore. Like, the, those are the four guys that are going to be competing for that last spot. Uh, I give him, you know, maybe like a 
15, 20% chance uh, in that group for sure. Uh, definitely has some athleticism, much better than his RAS score. But I think the fact that he can contribute on special teams and, and do some of those Joe Reed type things while also being a slightly better route runner, that definitely gives him a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, that's I, to me, that's like the most interesting one when I saw that when I was like, okay, like I wonder you know, what the plan is here because he is very similar to Joe Reed and they drafted Joe Reed in the fifth round. So that one definitely is going to be one to keep an eye on. So I'm going to start with uh, Hunter Campmoyer, the tight end from Oregon, obviously former teammate of Justin Herbert. And, and he's got an interesting profile. He, he went to Oregon as a defensive end. Um, he was second team all state in California and had a decent, you know, evaluation as a defensive end. And then, you know, he redshirted his freshman season and, uh, actually made the switch to tight end where he was, you know, mostly on the practice squad. Um, and that's where he spent most of his career. He's definitely not much of a, of a threat in terms of receiving ability. He's definitely a blocking tight end, uh, but he does his role well. I think, you know, and Oregon does a lot of, you know, outside zone stuff where they've got to have a tight end who can set the edge or who can set, you know, not get beat by defensive ends on the backside of the play. So, very similar to what the tight ends of the Chargers are going to be doing. I I kind of wonder if they're bringing him in to be a challenger for Gabe Neighbors at fullback, though, because he does have a similar profile to Neighbors. I know people are going to say, well, you just hate Gabe Neighbors. And it's like, well, we like yes. we said, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, like Camp Moyer, I, I think, does have a very similar profile to Neighbors in that, you know, he can have – he's a little – athletic fullback, H-back kind of work. And they did use him as a lead blocker quite a bit at Oregon. And so if he's a tight end, like he's not making the roster, right? Because you have Mm -hmm. Jared Cook, you have Donald Parham, and now Trey McKitty. Those three are locks. You know, Steven Anderson, unfortunately unfortunately for him, kind of is going to be the odd man out there. Um, They have Matt Sokol or or Sokol or however you say it. Um, No one knows about him yet at this point. He's been on the practice squad for the last two years. So as a tight end, I have a hard time seeing the vision where he makes the team. As a fullback, if he makes that switch or if the Chargers make that switch for him, you know, all he has to do really is prove that he's a better special teams player than Gabe Neighbors because I, I think the blocking ability, the receiving ability is pretty much about the same. And, you know, if there's one, like, valid criticism that we can make of Gabe Neighbors is that he was pretty bad on special teams, which unfortunately was a theme for <laughs> the entire team last year. So <laughs> if there's yeah. a free agent of mine, like of the three that I'm I'm taking, I, I probably would say that Camp Moyer would have the best chance of making a team if he's a fullback. If he's a tight end, I don't think he has much of a chance of making the roster at all. What did they consider? They considered Gabe Nibbers a fullback last year, right? Stupid question. I think like, so. Or did they consider him a tight end or an H back? I don't no, know. He, he entered as a he entered camp as a fullback and, and was listed as a fullback, but he was technically a tight end at Florida State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So they were similarly productive in like I guess in like college, maybe not production wise because I know the seasons are different, but like they looked like they're kind of same because like neighbors did have that calling card over Holly where he was like kind of a productive tight end. So. Is that kind of similar for him and the guy whose name I can't pronounce right now? Kate Kirp. Uh, Kent Moyer was wasn't Moyer. super productive as a pass catcher until this year. Um, oh, this okay. year he had a few touchdowns. Um, he had like 160 yards, I think. So those were all career highs. He had three touchdowns, um, and they only played, I think, four games. Oregon did five games. 
Okay. Um, so he was he was decently productive this year. It wasn't until this year. Um, you know, we were talking, you know, beforehand, Jacob Breeland was kind of the receiving tight end before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that didn't leave a whole lot of opportunities for anyone else. But um, as a blocker, I really like what I see. You know, he roots out block, he roots out uh, defensive linemen pretty well, and he's able to serve as an effective lead blocker. Um, so we'll see. Like I said, if he's a tight end, I can't envision a world where he is even on the practice squad because I, I assume that they would want to keep Steven Anderson on the practice squad. Um, mm-hmm. But if he's a fullback, I think he has a better chance. Okay, I like it. All right, I'll move on to my next guy. That's defensive tackle Jared Goldwire from Louisville. He's a 6'6", 305, nose tackle, who collected 30 pressures and 31 run stops the past two years. Um, I think easily his best attribute is his quick first step to beat the interior offensive lineman and, and either pressure the quarterback or disrupt the run play. But unfortunately, I, I kind of think that's it. Like, he doesn't have much of an anchor. And sometimes when he's trying to either rush the passer or reset the line of scrimmage, everything comes from his upper body and not much drive from his legs, it feels like. And he needs to engage both of those to be disruptive because being kind of like an upper body shover guy at 6'6 means you're, you could lose leverage. And he really does. Um, someone, and by someone, I mean a, a random article I found, compared him to Linval Joseph. And I guess like some of that does appear. Like I know Linval Joseph is, is really big. Um, and, and, and Goldwire does hustle from sideline to sideline, kind of like Joseph does. Um, but Joseph's a much more complete player with more athletic traits. So. Uh, I'm not saying like they're even really close. That's just a comp someone made. And I guess based on size, and maybe that's some of that sideline to sideline, I guess. Um, I just don't see where he would fit on this roster. Like, I don't know if I'm taking him over Fahoko. Yeah. Um, and there's a guy who has like not much of an anchor who's I – mean, maybe if he can put it all together and work with his leg, that's fine, I suppose. But to me, he's just kind of like does his job with his arms, and there's kind of just kind of it after that. So, And if he doesn't get that first step and win, he has no pass rush moves to, to do anything else after that. So – I mean, again, I don't know how much nose tackles have pass rush moves. I don't know how much to expect out of them, but like, I would have rather just had Shelvin, obviously. Speaking of defensive tackles who won't make the team, uh, my next guy is Forrest <laughs> Merrill. Um, oh, no. So, so Forrest Merrill kind of kind of blew up on Twitter a little bit because I, I think there was like an old uh, film breakdown from February, and like he he yeah. is a mauler in the run game in Arkansas State, and that's like his most positive attribute. Um, that dude can just he he can flat out stop the run, um, but and I don't mean to say this is a bad thing. It's kind of the only thing he can do. Um, and so like Staley has kind of talked a lot about versatility, and like you have Justin Jones who can pass rush to an extent. You do have Linval Joseph who didn't get a sack last year, but he did have 20 pressures. Um, Jerry Tillery obviously. Um, and so the other challenge for him, other than not being much of a pass rusher is that his arms are kind of, like, really short, and his hands are also yeah. very small. And so he's only, like, like that, six feet tall, isn't he? Right, yeah, he's, like, oh, wow. barely six feet tall. Like, I think on his um, RAS, it was, like, 6006. So, like, he's, he's, <laughs> he's barely in the six-foot club, but, you know, just enough to avoid being a manlet. Uh, but so I would say that, you know, he, he does have 17.5 tackles for loss, about 8.5 sacks through his career. Um, but, again, like, going from Arkansas State to playing now at an NFL level where you're going to, you know, if you are a defensive tackle on this team, like we saw Fahoko have to play snaps last year, even though he was on the practice squad, he came up for that Bills game. Um, so, like, I just think it, it's it's really challenging. Like, if you, yeah, I mean, his motor and energy is all there, like, when you, when you watch the tape. But the, the problem is, like, man, 
if this dude had the body of Tyler Shelvin, like if you give him, you know, he's six three and you give him he's three hundred fifty pounds, like I, you know, he might have very well bid a third, fourth round pick. And well, realistically, he probably wouldn't have been playing in Arkansas State. He probably would have been playing at LSU or Alabama. Um, but you know, so it, it, like the energy, the effort is there, but just his physical tool set um, and and sort of his one dimensionality, like that's that's going to be a problem for him, I think, in his effort to make the team when you're comparing him to guys that, uh, you know, are just sort of better. Yeah, he's definitely uh, strong at the point of attack and definitely anchors down well. But, you know, those physical limitations, uh, they'll catch up to him eventually. So, you know, I'll have to see about that one. The next one I want to talk about here is Darius Harper. Shocker, I took all three blockers. Sue me. Um, <laughs> Darius Harper is the offensive tackle out of Cincinnati. Uh, very intriguing athlete. He actually transferred from Miami, Ohio to Cincinnati, and he was a basketball player at Miami, Ohio. So undrafted free agent, <laughs> basketball player, anyone? Just kidding. Oh, he's going to uh, be Gabe Neighbors? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's got really great size. He's listed at 6'7". He measured in you know, pretty close to there at his pro day, 308 pounds. So he's a little on the other undersized side of things. Um, but he's got a very intriguing physical profile, very similar to um, what Trey Pipkins was. Differences: Trey Pipkins was drafted in the third round, and this guy's an undrafted free agent. Um, <laughs> but he he ran a, a 505 40 yard dash, and he jumped 30 inches at his pro day. Which, you know, if you're over 300 pounds, and can jump 30 inches in the vertical jump. Like that's damn impressive. Um, as an offensive tackle on the field, he's definitely got a lot of work to do which is obviously why he wasn't drafted. Um, his technique in general is not really there, and he's still kind of unfamiliar with the concept of, like, anchoring down against the bull rush. So he, he's not the strongest guy. He's definitely got to fill out his frame. But, you know, you watch him do some some great things at the second level and, and show off his athleticism as a puller, as a reach blocker, and you can see some stints of, of NFL offensive line play. It's just like I said, he's only played the position for two years, um, and you know he only started really a full season this past year. Started a handful of games in 2019, but um, you know when you're watching the All 22, you you look at James Hudson, who isn't polished by any means, and then you look at his teammate on the other side, and you can definitely see a clear difference of why Hudson was drafted and why Harper wasn't. Um, but mm. I think if you can get if you can keep him on the practice squad, you know work him in. Uh, on, on some in some training camp reps and things like that, get him a, a couple preseason games, and maybe you have something there like down the road, like in 2022 or 2023. Um, but you know, talking about a crowded room with the with the Chargers offensive tackle group, you know, you obviously have Rashawn Slater, you have Brian Malaga, you have Trey Pipkins, you have Storm Norton, and I think those are the four that are going to make it. You know, you. You could have Tyree St. Louis if he's a tackle, maybe make it over Norton, but um, I think they would carry four on the roster and then obviously, you know, three on game day. So I, I have a hard time envisioning him making the roster, but as a practice mm -hmm. squad, long-term developmental project, I'm intrigued enough to the point where I understand why they targeted him as an undrafted free agent. So Cincinnati really had a former defensive tackle and yeah. a former basketball player as their two tackles. That's they sure did. <laughs> they oh sure did. But they were really freaking oh. good. I mean, they went they went undefeated yeah. and, and played Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And if Hudson 
didn't get ejected from targeting, they could have won that game, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was very interesting watching you know someone who clearly you know a defensive tackle at heart <laughs> and a former basketball player who's only played offensive line for two <laughs> years to be their tackles. It was yeah. definitely an interesting watch. Yeah, I'll still fight to the death for Cincinnati. They should have made the college football playoff this year. Uh, And (laughs) even though, you know, they probably would have gotten blown out by Alabama, I think they should have had the right to be blown out by Alabama. Well, Um, what's wild now is that they're potentially going to 12 teams. They're going to go from four playoff teams to 12. And I'm like, you guys. Whoa, really? Really? Yeah, there's a big big push among boosters to get more teams in the playoff. And a lot of people think that they're going to go all the way up to 12 teams. But that's a college football topic for another day. Maybe start with, like, eight first. I don't know. I know. (laughs) That's kind of weird. But, yeah, the guy that I want to talk about as my last undrafted free agent and the guy who I ultimately think will make this team uh, is Alex Kespin. Uh, He's the kicker from Pittsburgh. um, And, you know, you just watch this dude and you look at the stats. He's got a leg. Uh, He actually has the longest field goal uh, recorded in Heinz Field history. Um, there is not wow. a Steelers kicker who has kicked uh, above 58 yards. <laughs> uh, the, the the record for longest field goal at Heinz Field is shared by Mason Crosby and Matt Gay of the NFL, 55 yards. Uh, 58 was booted by Alex Kessman. So he he's got a wow. he's got a strong leg. Uh, he actually has the highest field goal percentage in NCAA history from 50 yards. He hit 12 of 18 this year. Like this dude, it, to me kind of almost like a shoe in to make the team because the issue with Badgley is, you know, his ceiling is kind of in reach. Like he's never going to become a consistent 50 yard field goal kicker in my opinion. Right. Um, and so when you look at Kessman, somebody who, you know, we, we, I was talking about Heinz field, that is one of the hardest places in the NFL to kick because the wind blows in from one side and also the sod on that field is terrible. Um, but you know, so like to me, you know, you look at those numbers overall in college, he wasn't like amazing. You know, he was, I think, 75% for his career total, but that number actually uh, jumped from to 80% in 2020. So he definitely has shown uh, some signs of improvement. Uh, you know, you already know he can kick from deep. And so to me, like kicking is such a kind of binary thing. <laughs> like you can either kick or you're going to be the best kicker in the group or you're not. Um, I haven't researched too much into Viscaino. Um, so that's kind of like the aspect of this that we don't know. But, you know, to me, I, I haven't seen anything special from him that, that that really would give him an edge in this competition. And, again, Badgley's issue is not so much that he's, like, a terrible kicker or anything, but it's, you know, you need to be able to nail 45 to 55 yards in the NFL. And we've seen, you know, this Chargers offense or, you know, really decision-making as a whole limited by the fact that, like, hey, you know, we, we, we can't trust our kicker, right? And that yeah. was one of the things that – uh, you know, while we all blame Anthony Lynn a lot for last year, it's one of the things I sympathized with him with because it was just like there's just not a lot you can do about that um, when, when it came to Michael Bangley or, or having another kicker. You know, realistically, if we look back in hindsight, like they probably should have had a kicking competition last year, um, but they didn't, right? So, um, but, yeah, so to me, Kasman is the dude. You know, you look at his career numbers, you look at his leg. Um, to me, out of all the guys that I looked into – like, he's the biggest threat to make this team. Um, and I, I, I would go as far as to say, you know, I don't know how he'll do in the preseason. And, you know, that's you know, another whole thing of, like, we're not going to be able to see who's kicking best in camp. We're only going right. to be able to see those preseason games. 
But to me, like, I just I just have a hard time believing, you know, going from Heinz Field to basically a dome stadium in SoFi. Yeah. I mean, it is a little mm-hmm. bit open on the outside, but uh, practically speaking, it's a dome. I just don't think he'll get worse. Like, I think his numbers will get better. Um, so to me, you know, he's the guy that I, out of the three guys that I looked into, and honestly, out of this whole class, I think he has the most uh, promise. Yeah, I definitely agree that he's the most likely to make the roster, right? Because Michael Badgley, I, I feel like bringing him back on the roster was just kind of like an insurance policy. Like, you yeah. know, if we're not able to find someone who can upgrade what we want, then at least we know what we have in Badgley. And so I completely agree. You know, the way that Anthony Lynn handled him is one of the things where I was like, uh, there's not really much more he can do mm-hmm. at this point. So I, I totally agree. Kessman, I think it is the like if you – put a list of like the odds. I think Kessman would have the best odds to make the roster. Um, I've seen some people say like, well, he's not super accurate in the short term. He missed an extra point or two, uh, too many. And so the thing that I'll say about kickers and how they translate, like the Buccaneers drafted two of the best (laughs) college kickers in recent memory. And both of them flamed out super quickly in Tampa Bay. Obviously, Matt Gay has kind of revived his career in Los Angeles for the Rams. Thankfully, yes, that's my guy. Um, But, you know, you look at college kickers, and you just never really know. And so if you're looking at an incumbent starter who you know cannot hit beyond 50 yards or a new college kicker who has this super strong leg, a lot of teams have taken their shot on a guy with a longer leg, and then hopefully you can, you know, find some technique and get him a little more accurate in the short term. And then – if you hit on this kicker, then your team is that much better for it, like Alex was saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, a lot of people were just, like, asking, you know, why didn't you go after Jose Borregales or, you know, because he, he was the perceived kind of best kicker in this class. And, you know, while, you know, Jose was very good, I, I think that that was kind of unrealistic that he was, you know, going to come to the Chargers just because, you know, he was the best kicker available. Obviously, clearly it looks like he wanted to stay in Florida, which is why he signed in in Tampa Bay. Um, But, yeah, to me, yeah, like Steven said, you never know how how kickers are going to translate. But I think you look at a guy that has that skill set and you just look at Badgley who – whether it's due to his injury, I mean, to credit Badgley in 2018, he did hit that 59-yard field goal, which yeah. looking back on it was like, how the hell did that mm-hmm. happen? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, uh, I, yeah, I just think it's going to be a tough thing because, you know, I, I don't – maybe it's because of his injury that he suffered in 2019 or whatever, but I, I don't think he's ever going to have that skill set or develop mm-hmm. it. You know, he's also older now. Um, so yeah, I just think when you look at the guys who's going to make this team, it's very likely, uh, Kessman. Then I like the idea of taking a guy with a bigger leg who can also like hit over 50. I mean, obviously, but if the Chargers are going to be more aggressive and they are going to try to go for it when they're at 35 or the 30 or whatever, like, but you have to, like, you have to have a guy who can hit from 58 when you just can't take that chance. And the analytics say, listen, you just have to kick this damn field goal because we're at the, you know, we're at the 42 and you got to kick a 59 yarder to win this thing. You know, you, you, I suppose you could throw it to the end zone, you know, but the instances where you can't go for it, maybe the analytics say, you know, just kick it. Having a guy who can hit you that game winner from that far is really yeah. important. And even if you can't hit the intermediate uh, ones, that's okay. Because look, you know, Harrison Bucker was dreadful pretty much every game after week two on all sorts of situations, but he hit from like 58 <laughs> three different times over and over. Like it was, we all know which game we're talking about. And, you know, because of his leg, yeah. his consistency at that distance, 
they won that game, and that was a big game for them. And, you know, if they had missed that, the Chargers had won. It had been a whole different year maybe for both teams. Well, maybe not the Chiefs, but certainly for the Chargers, I think. So um, I'm all for it. A guy, you can get that far, you know, let's do it. Um, the last guy I want to talk about is Ben DeLuca. I'm very jealous that you ended with a kicker, Alex, because you didn't have to find all 22. And Steven finished with a guy who had all 22. I got a DB with no all 22 who played Duke and Charlotte. Or no, he was on Charlotte who played Duke and what's the other place? Anyway, forget it. Uh, Florida Atlantic. There it is. Those are the games that I watched. Um, he is a safety who played 183 box safety snaps, 59 in the slot, and 119 as a free safety, just seven receptions and 16 targets. Low missed tackle rate. If you look the entire, I don't know how it is for uh, Rumpf, because I know I think he has a missed tackle issue. But overall, like Webb, DeLuca, who I'm going to talk about, um, Goldwire, who I just talked about, Neiman, Webb, these guys all have missed tackle rates under 10. I don't know if that's just a thing that they went for. You know, guys with low missed tackle rates, but they did. Again, case in point, you know, Jamar Johnson has a 26.5 missed tackle rate. So they're looking for guys that all seem to be under, like, that that 10 number for some reason. Um, what I no- noticed immediately is he's pretty instinctual, and that's just that's more than just in coverage. I was a couple of games, well, the two that I watched, Duke and Florida Atlantic, made two great tackles, one on fourth and one, one on third and two, to get the ball carry off the edge. A really good sense of, of timing, and part of that, I think, comes just from having a natural high football IQ because he doesn't he, he moves everywhere in the defense, but also as the co-caps, and he lines up everyone on the defense. So I think it says a lot when you can get your own defense lined up and you can also move to wherever you need to be all over the field. But the issue comes back to the issues we're having with the safeties that they have on the roster already. Like, yeah, maybe they're a good safety, whatever, but you know, he's another 4-7-40 safety, which you know, means he probably shouldn't be that free safety either. So you know, great instincts, and maybe that could work for him as a free safety, I guess. But like for reference, Jalen Watkins ran a 4-4-1. And I'm not saying that like that's super athletic and everyone has to run a 4-4-1, but you know, if you have Webb as a 4-7 safety and you have and DeLuca as a 4-7 safety, I don't I'm pretty sure Gilman was his RAS score wasn't that great. I can't imagine it was. No. Um so does he have a chance to make the roster based on his football IQ and, his, and being a co-captain? Um I believe he's led the I think he has the no. Yeah, he has the 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 college his college's lead in I think like tackles and runs off. I don't know. I lost it. I lost the stat. Um, so I, I think he does have the best shot of the three guys that I talked about, but I'm not like super interested in all three of them because I don't like I don't know where he would fit. Like they have Webb who can kind of move all over. I don't think Deluca is really going to like beat him out for that. So I mean we'll see. But I just don't really think any of my three guys are all that uh, have a good shot of making the roster. Yeah, you definitely to your point about uh, Alohi, uh, as you say, to your point about Alohi Gilman, Alohi Gilman had a 3.82 RAS score uh, with a 4.640 yard dash. So uh, yeah, you're definitely kind of right on that. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this safety room it, it worries me a little bit. Um, all right, so the last player here I'm, I'm going to talk about is uh, Kyle Spalding from San Diego State, another offensive tackle. I actually think that he's going to be a guard for them. Um, he, he's a little more limited athletically and in the length department than Darius Harper is. Um, and, and he's a much mm. better run blocker than Darius Harper is. So he, he's much more, you know, the, the, the common phrase for offensive linemen is that, you know, to play guard, you've got to be able to, you know, essentially fight in a phone booth. Um, and Kyle Spalding is that kind of player, physical at the point of attack, sets the edge really well. Um, actually kind of reminded me of Cole Toner and, and they've got similar size and length attributes as well. So he's someone that I could see maybe pushing, 
you know, for a spot on the roster because I think he could play guard. Um, and we've kind of seen this this theme of tackle, guard, flexibility that the Chargers are building. Um, so I could see a world in which, you know, he beats out a, a player like Tyree St. Louis for being on the active roster or, you know, I, I can't even remember who else is on the roster in terms of guards. But, you know, they do need some guard depth, right, because they have Scott Questenberry as, as like their center guard depth, and then they've got Tyree St. Louis, and, and then obviously Brandon Hymas. And so I, I could see a world in which Spalding pushes for a roster spot. I'm not super intrigued on keeping him on the practice squad if he doesn't. You know, like Darius Harper, I kind of want to see what they have in him because of his physical upside. But Spalding, much more limited athletically and, and really just a run blocker at this point, um, kind of struggles with athleticism in, in space and, and doesn't really make an impact in terms of second-level blocks. So, you know, Spalding, as I said, I, I think as a run blocker, he can definitely have a role. But I'm, I, I struggle to see, like, the upside, whereas with Darius Harper, I'm like, this guy is damn athletic, and if they develop mm. him, into something more than that, then I think they could have, you know, a, a hidden gem swing tap swing tackle kind of player on their hands. But um, I, I guess just because of the lack of depth at guard, like I could see Spalding maybe making some noise there, but then again, maybe they see him as a tackle. And, and if that's the case, then, yeah. then there's no chance he makes the roster. That's a bummer. He doesn't fit athletically. So they, I mean, it seems like, okay, so it's Brendan Hymas. He's pretty athletic. Yeah. Or not look pretty athletic, but He's a space mover, so I'm surprised yeah. to have to see them bring in a guy who, like everyone they brought in so far, seems to be a guy who can move in space. And so for them to bring in another guy like this, who's not and just a run blocker kind of guy, that's kind of strange. No, I, I think it is a little strange as well. I, I saw some people were really excited about it. San Diego State guy makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he was honorable mention in the Mountain West in terms of all conference. So what does that mean? Um, it means that he wasn't first team or second team. It means he was honorable mention oh. in, the, in the Mountain West. It means he didn't make first or second team <laughs> in the Mountain West. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I struggle to see like the upside here. I, I think I don't know anything about him as as a person, but you know, I just I struggle to see really what they are seeing mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's just a missed opportunity with his last name. I mean, should have been a basketball player. Yeah, which is funny because Darius Harper was a basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the three of us, I think, so Alex has Kessman as the most likely. I'll say I'll say Camp Moyer if he's a fullback. If not, I'll say Darius Harper. And, Tyler, it seems like mm-hmm. Ben DeLuca is your most likely, or are you going to go with the Oklahoma State linebacker? In terms of, like, position, I think DeLuca has the best shot. Like, I don't know how many linebackers still he's going to want on this roster, especially after taking Neiman. So I don't know if Ogbong Bamiga is going to make it as just a middle linebacker with no coverage ability. So I guess I'll go DeLuca because they do need a safety. And, like, I get they probably will like his intangibles. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not looking great for, for any of my guys. I was talking with Ryan Dyer about this the other day because – Obviously, you know, he covered the Rams last year. And so I asked him, like, how many linebackers did Staley and that defense carry on the roster at the beginning of the year? And then obviously most of them got hurt. But they they started the season with five linebackers on the roster. So hmm. that really leaves one spot up for grabs in terms of Cole Christiansen and Eamon Ogbong-Bovina. 
I butchered that one. Sorry. Tyler did it much better. But, um, so it, at least one spot available for one of those two. And, you know, I don't know how this team views Cole Christiansen. I don't know how they view Eamon, but, you know, they've got some wiggle room there. If, if Eamon is the better player, better athlete, better special teams guy, then I could see a world in which he makes it. Well, if they have another spot, and like that's what Staley did last year, then yeah, I think, then never mind. I'm going to change my pick. I think it is Ogbongwamiga who makes it. There Hopefully go. Big Bong makes the roster. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for our undrafted free agent conversation. Um, next week we're going to talk about some, some specific depth chart battles, which we kind of hinted at today. Uh, and then we're going to wrap this up with our interview with Chris Harry or with my interview with Chris Harry. So make sure and listen to that. Uh, again, if you're watching on YouTube, that is going to be in a separate video. But Tyler and Alex, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? I just want to say that last year we talked about undrafted free agents, and I was like, oh, Braden Fajoko, that's what I think of him. And, of course, he ends up, you know, in the NFL staff, So what do I know, right? <laughs> that is true. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be interesting to just see how many make the team. You know, usually it's just kind of yeah. between, you know, zero and one. Uh, you know, for the Chargers, it's kind of been one for – for a bunch of years. Um, I'm curious to just see how Staley kind of views this roster and then how many shakeups he wants to make because I kind of think you could have maybe the most undrafted free agents to make this team, uh, just specifically because you have a kicker that has a great chance, and then if you add one more after that, it's kind of a bonus. But unlike last year, they had 19 uh, undrafted free agents. This year they have 10, mm-hmm. um, partially because of the roster, you know, constructions and uh, subhead league and all that. So um, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to see. I hope my hope all these guys get, get a real chance to make the roster because unfortunately last year, you know, with COVID and everything, you had so many undrafted free agents that you know once they had to cut from 90 to 80, right? You know that eliminated a lot of them. So I really hope just uh, all these guys get a shot. Yeah, and then kind of the last thing to mention here, they did invite KJ Costello, the quarterback from Stanford slash Mississippi State, uh, to come into rookie minicamp. So. I assume that they'll invite some other players as kind of like a tryout thing, and then if they do well, maybe they do sign them as an undrafted free agent. Uh, so this list might get a little more extensive. There might be some more bodies added to it. Um, and once they do, we will mm-hmm. definitely cover them and, and their chances as well. So, again, we're going to transition now to the end of our show and the interview with Chris Harry. Check it out. And thanks so much, for guys, for tuning in. And as always, leave us a rating or a view. Subscribe to our channel. We always appreciate all that stuff. Like the videos, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Guilty Stars podcast. Very happy now to be joined by Chris Harry, the team reporter. This is our second attempt at a little Zoom issue, but uh, Chris, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? You know what, man? The, the first one was so good, I don't think I can <laughs> I could top it with the second one. We'll try, though. How you doing, bud? <laughs> I'm doing good, man, yeah. Had a little, little issue downloading the Zoom recording, so we had to do this again. So I uh, can't thank Chris enough for taking the time out to join us twice in two days. Um, obviously, the, the draft wrapped up. It was last weekend. Uh, it seems like it was crazy for, for everyone involved, but what was that weekend like for you? It was wild, man. Um, Fast and furious. Nine picks. Uh, I, I think the first day was was busy in that, you know, we had a, a pre-draft party with LaDadia Tomlinson and, and Derwin James, Joey Bosa, Justin Herbert. Uh, my guy Francisco Pinto uh, co-hosted it with me. It was a lot of fun. It was a good way to kind of kick off uh, my favorite event on the the NFL calendar. And then 
you know, it, it was a little surprising, frankly, to see Rashawn Slater still right. there at 13 overall. This is a guy that we talked about uh, all off season throughout this draft process. I didn't think he was going to get out of the top 10, honestly. But the, the way the board falls, sometimes you just never know. Uh, Chicago moved up to, to get a quarterback. Um, even with just four quarterbacks going in, in the top 12, yeah. uh, the Chargers were still able to land uh, the guy who I think many would would say is a, a must-need in 2021 and beyond at left tackle to protect Justin Herbert and open up some holes for that running game. Yeah, I cannot say en- enough about how excited I am about Rashawn Slater being on the Chargers. Um, and even with the, the kind of intel that suggested maybe five quarterbacks could go before the Chargers picked up 13, you know, I never really thought that they would be able to get Rashawn Slater unless they traded up. So we kind of had this conversation in, in the deleted recording um, about Tom Telesco's patience and how he's been rewarded for, you know, sticking and picking, obviously gets Justin Herbert last year and Rashawn Slater this year. Yeah, and he made uh, a comment in one of his pressers that it, when it got to a certain point, I think it was like around eight or something, that uh, he had some pretty good uh, intel that Rashawn would, would likely be there. And, uh, you know, it's a credit to the, the staff and, and the personnel uh, in, in the Chargers organization to kind of have a, a good understanding of the board, what teams need, what teams are looking for, and to be able to stick and pick at 13 and to have that degree of patience, I think a lot of people – uh, would think that if you move up to get a left tackle, nothing wrong with that, especially in a year when you have nine picks and you're going to have more picks next year with all the co- compensatory picks coming in for the Chargers. Uh, but they were able to stick at 13, get their left tackle, and you mentioned it, uh, sticking at six last year, getting the offensive rookie of the year in Justin Herbert. So, you know, Tom has had a track record of, of success in the first round. And for those who think it's easy to pick in the first round, you know, go back and look. Yeah. <laughs> go back and look at uh, past seasons and uh, at some of the the guys who are frankly not even in the league right now. As early as 2016, you could you look at some of these first round picks. So to get a defensive rookie of the year in 16, uh, a first team All Pro in Derwin James in 18, and then two years later get the offensive rookie of the year, and then get a guy like Rashawn Slater, who I know everybody's really high on. Um, you know, Tom and company have done pretty good in that first round. Absolutely, and it's just been so interesting to see the kind of players that they've been able to get, and not just select, right, but you have these awesome seasons, and, you know, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts about why they've had this great track record, because, you know, you could even go back to Jason Verrett, who was a pro bowler as a rookie, you know, Derwin James was an all-pro, obviously, and could have been, should have been, depending on who you ask, defensive rookie of the year, so why do you think the Chargers have had such success in the first round recently? You know, it's I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think scouting first and foremost, and, and for those who say, "Oh, well, it's easy to pick Joey Bosa at three, and it's it's easy to pick Justin Herbert at six. Is it? Is it? Is, they weren't no brainers. Is it easy to pick Derwin James at at eighteen at uh, seventeen? Rather, I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's easy to pick a guy in the top five or six, and then it's easy to pick a guy at seventeen overall yeah. too, right? Or it's easy to pick Melvin Gordon and move up two spots. He was a two time Pro Bowler. You got Jason Verrett late in the first round. So I I just think it's a, a combination of a lot of things, starting with that scouting staff. They they do a fantastic job identifying guys, identifying guys that they they think fit what the Chargers are um, from a character perspective, uh, from a love of the game perspective. You know, you got to love to play football. And, you know, 
they get they got guys like Derwin James and Joey Bosa who love to play football. Um, smart, intelligent players like Justin Herbert. Uh, so it's a it's a combination of factors, Stephen. And it's again, I, I think Rashawn Slater is the latest example of that. Now we have to see this all play out on the field, but um, this is a guy who's highly intelligent. Talking to Duke Manyweather, who's trained him over the last eight months. Just talked about how clear he is, how consistent he is in, in everything that he does, and I, I just think it's it's all about the situation that that Rashawn has gotten drafted into as well in an offensive line room with with so many vets, uh, right. including Corey Lindsley, the All Pro center, Brian Bulaga. I mean, think about the the experience that these guys have that Rashawn gets to kind of pick those pick those brains in the offensive line room. Well, and not just Slater, right? Like Justin Herbert is now, you know, working with this veteran-laden offensive group, and you know, we've all we all know how smart he is, how intelligent he is, and then Rashawn Slater is the same way. Uh, I, I saw Pat, Fitz, Pat Fitzgerald he was asked about like, well, what was his GPA like, and he was like, I can't tell you, but it was very high. So, yeah. just the kind of intelligence that the Chargers are going to have up front, I, I think, is going to pay dividends as well. That's right, and and also with this uh, offensive staff coming in, I mean, uh, Joe Lombardi comes from the whole Drew Brees, Sean Payton school, and we know how smart Drew Brees is and, and how deep that playbook went. Um, I, I think we're going to see – there's actually – I got a book behind me, this Payton and Brees book. For Chargers fans, I, I would suggest reading this. Um, there's a chapter that's dedicated to Joe Lombardi in here – and it, it talks about just how uh, deep the playbook goes, uh, how, how complex it is, and how Drew Brees was able to master that. And I just look at some of the parallels with a guy like Justin Herbert, um, yeah. what he was able to do in his first year, and how he'll be able to pick up an offense quickly. And as he progresses throughout his career, um, he has the intelligence to really go deep in a playbook. And j- just think of everything he did last year on the fly, right? Yeah. And then think about that, and then having the weapons to do it with guys like Keenan Allen and, and, and Mike Williams and Eckler and, and all these guys. So I don't know. I I I would suggest you guys pick that up, read that this off season. Um, it's it's more homework uh, as you educate <laughs> yourself on this Chargers offensive staff. I love that. That's a great call. I, I think Joe Lombardi. I think a lot of people were a little skeptical at first because of what he did or didn't do in Detroit. But I think it's going to be a great hire. He's got such a great reputation from working with the Saints. And I think just the kind of melding of minds that the Chargers have going on in the coaching staff is going to be so much fun to watch. Um, Let's pivot to the second round pick. Another player I didn't really think that the Chargers would have a chance to get, uh, but they, they, they stick and pick again, stick into their board and they get Asante Samuel Jr. Um, You've had the chance to interview him. You've had the chance to go over some film with Matt Miller uh, what can you tell us about Asante Samuel Jr. at this point? I think it's a great pick. Uh, I didn't expect him to be there. Again, it, it goes down to that patience, but uh, it, it was clearly a need in the secondary uh, with, with guys like Casey Hayward leaving and um, to have Michael Davis on one side, Chris Harris Jr. returning, that veteran presence, Darwin James coming back. I, I think Asante Samuel Jr. is going to fit in Perfectly. I said, how do you describe the way you play defensive back? Point blank, competitor, ball hawk. And, you know, that's what Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley kind of echoed is just the competitiveness that he plays with. 
Um, he missed Erwin James by one season at Florida State, so he'll get to make up for that in, in the Chargers secondary this year. So you're looking at a secondary right now, Stephen, with you know Michael Davis, who I thought played really well last year, yep. uh, Nas Adderley, and Derwin James, who have not played in a game together, by the way. And I, I remember when Nas was drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, uh, DJ Daniel Jeremiah said that if, if you were to build a safety in a lab to complement Derwin James, Nas Adderley would be that dude. So we haven't seen that yet. You know, so we'll we'll get to see that hopefully for the first time this year. And then you bring in a guy like Asante Samuel Jr. who can get the ball. And, and if, yeah. if you want to make this team successful, you want to make the Chargers offense successful, get the ball for them, right? Get, get the ball for them. And, and that's what we missed last year by not having Derwin James on the field. That's what Asante Samuel Jr. is going to bring. Uh, Chris Harris Jr. has brought that throughout his career. We remember that interception he had against the Raiders late in the yeah, year. Exactly. Um, he didn't play last year. So there's a lot of guys in the secondary who can get the ball. Uh, Nas Adderley's another one who got the ball in Delaware. Um, and in this new system, I'm really intrigued to see how he's going to play. So uh, I, I think Asante Samuel Jr. is just another young piece uh, in a secondary that I think can be very opportunistic in 2021. Yeah, and, you know, I'm just really excited to see the secondary come together, right, and, and love the fact that the Chargers fans get to watch twenty the number 26 go from Casey Hayward to Asante Samuel Jr. I think that is, is such a cool little thing, little detail. But uh, we kind of talked in the last one about all these connections, right? So you get Asante Samuel Jr., who's connected to Derwin James, obviously connected to Trey McKitty, who he played with at Florida State, was high school teammates with with Josh Palmer. Were you a little surprised, though, that the Chargers did, you know, kind of go offensive playmaker in the third round instead of maybe addressing some of the other needs in Josh Palmer and Trey McKitty? Not really, because you're not you're not drafting for just 2021. I mean, you you got to draft down the line. Right now, you you have Keenan, you have Mike, you have a pair of undrafted guys in, in T. Billy and Jalen Guyton. Um, I think the you know a second year of Joe Reed and K.J. Hill. Uh, it's all about competition too, frankly, you know, you got to continue to add to a room. Uh, Josh Palmer's a guy who probably didn't have the best quarterback situation. And we've seen Justin Herbert elevate the play of guys who, frankly, you didn't really know much about in in July of 2020. You know, we didn't know much about Donald Parham or or Tyron Johnson or or Jalen Guyton or Gabe Neighbors. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of guys that he helped elevate the play of. Uh, Josh Palmer's a guy who could be, you know, a, a future playmaker for this team. And, you know, I'm talking about 2023, 2024, you know. So if there's a guy you like that's that's on your board and you think highly of him, you got to snag him. So, you know, you could, you could talk about getting needs and, you know, what's really a need? Like, of course, there's needs up and down uh, the roster. Um, right. There could be injuries. It, you know, knock on wood, there's an injury in, in the wide receivers room you're probably happy you got Josh Palmer in there. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited about him. I'm excited about Trey McKitty too. Uh, it's just I look at that tight ends room now with, with Jared Cook, who has the most touchdowns I think over the last three years among tight ends other than Travis Kelsey. Uh, Donald Parham, who it seemed like every reception he had was a touchdown last oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, big dude, 6'8". And then another big guy in Trey McKitty who, who can block and also could be a playmaker potentially, who is also in a tough quarterback situation. So uh, I'm excited about those guys, and I think Justin Herbert is too. 
Absolutely. And lots, lots of size in the tight end room, lots of versatility that they can play with there specifically. Um, you kind of floated this question out on Twitter, you know, of the day three players who could potentially be impact guys. So I want to get your thoughts there. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Chris Rumpf, maybe Brendan Hymas ends up starting. So what do you make of this day three class for the Chargers this year? I like it. And, and I, I was encouraged by the responses because I think every single player was mentioned at, at yeah. some point, right? Whether yeah. it was a round tree or Webb or uh, Hymas or Rumpf. Um, so, you know, Nick Nemus, a guy who I think can uh, re- really add to that linebackers room and, and play special teams. And I think in the first interview, we talked a lot about just the versatility of some of these guys being able to contribute on special teams because yeah. that's first and foremost what, you know, I think all Chargers fans are going to expect from these guys on day three is is making impact on, on special teams. I'm going to go with Chris Rumpf, though, in, in terms of getting after the quarterback. Um Brandon Staley has had a very high success rate in getting the most out of his edge guys. And, you know, you go back to Cleo Mack, go back to Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Um, to have Joey Bosa there and Uchenna, who I expect to get uh, a lot more reps this year, you bring in Kyler Fackrell. Uh, Chris Rumpf, talking to his co-defensive coordinator at Duke, uh, Ben Albert, this week, he talked about the fact that he's just a Swiss Army knife. He can do a lot of different things. Um, but if he, if Steven, if he can just get to the quarterback on third downs this year, that's a win, that's right? Great, yeah. just, just continue to get after these quarterbacks in the AFC West. Uh, but you can make the argument for a lot of different guys. I know Popper made the argument for uh, for Webb, uh, just looking at Staley's secondary of uh, defensive backs and what he was able to do with that unit uh, with the Rams last year. So th- that's a good candidate. We don't know. Sometimes rookie running backs pop and they come yeah. out of nowhere and they star. Maybe Larry Roundtree's that guy. Uh, if anything else, he could contribute on special teams, and he's going to add further competition to that running backs room with Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson. Um, and then obviously Austin Eckler is, is all over the field. So uh, I'm excited about a lot of these guys. Uh, high miss, a lot of people were high on, and uh, we're really happy the Chargers got him as late as they did. Um, he adds that uh, that that durability and versatility. I think he had 40 straight starts at Nebraska. Uh, so I, I think they project him as a guard, but has the ability to play tackle too. Um, that's what I love about this line. All these guys can play different positions. So, uh, you know, knock on wood, if anything were to happen to, you know, a, a guard or a tackle, there's some interchangeable pieces there. Absolutely. I think the whole theme of the, theme of the off season for me has just been, you know, flexibility and being able to, you know, have the players to move around in different spots. And, you know, you look at Asante Samuel Jr. play inside, play outside, same with Chris Harris, offensive line you just mentioned with Brennan Hymas and Matt Filer and Odia Bougie. So flexibility has definitely been something that has, has kind of stood out to me. Um, last question here. It feels like from our perspective that the Chargers had, you know, two primary objectives this offseason, which was A, upgrade the offensive line, and B, you know, figure out, special teams and try and get that right. Do you feel like they did a good enough job attacking those two priorities? I think so. Uh, you know, and, and obviously we don't know until we see it on, uh, on the field on, on Sundays in September, yeah. but you, you look at what they did across the offensive line, it's a completely remade unit uh, outside of Bulaga, um, you know, and then we got guys like Trey Pipkins still there in his third year. And I think a lot of people forget that Trey Pipkins came from a very small school two years ago. So 
you know, this is a big year for him in terms of development um, and, and being a, a contributor across this offensive line. But I, I would say so. I mean, when you get the best center in football, uh, you get argu- arguably the best left tackle in the draft. Uh, you bring in veterans like Ode Abushi and Matt Filer. Um, Filer's been a part of a program in Pittsburgh. He's never been a part of a losing season, I think, in his, uh, in his six or seven years in the NFL. Um, and then Bulaga, if he could stay healthy. You know, we've seen yeah. the type of player he is. So offensive line looks good on paper. Special teams, I, I love our special teams coordinator, uh, Coach Swinton. I, I mean, if you guys have not had a chance to to hear him speak, just go back to the Chargers YouTube uh, channel and, and go to his introductory press conference. Uh, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I'm really excited about him. And, uh, you know, the, the kicking game, there's going to be some competition there, which is a good thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, you bring in guys with, with your nine selections that can contribute, you know. So it's, it's it all looks good on paper in the offseason, Stephen, right? I mean, yeah. I think the, the thing is all 32 teams have hope. All 32 teams think that they've upgraded in some form or fashion. I'm very confident in, in what the Chargers have done this offseason, but it's it, there's a variety of factors that go into a – a uh, 2021 NFL season, staying healthy, um, execution, chemistry. There, there's so many different factors. So I, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Uh, I've I've loved everything uh, that Brandon Staley has said thus far, and I think he's going to walk the walk uh, come July when, when these guys get uh, out there for training camp. Absolutely. Definitely a lot of palpable excitement for the Chargers. You guys have done a fantastic job covering everything on the YouTube channel and on social media. Appreciate um, that. Big week ahead as well with the, with the schedule release. So what can Chargers fans look forward to coming from the from the social media team this week? Yeah, it's going to be fun. The, the schedule release, it, it's funny because we know the opponents, but it's, it's yeah. always fun to know exactly where we're going to be throughout uh, the course of a season. So uh, we'll have some, some fun stuff coming from uh, the Chargers uh, digital accounts and, and Chargers.com this week. And then Chargers Weekly, uh, I think I mentioned that Duke Mannyweather talking about Rashad Slater. It was a really, really good interview. I love Duke yeah. um, and hearing him talk about offensive line play. He had some really good insight on uh, on Rashawn Slater and then also Ben Albert talking about Chris Rump the second. So we'll continue to get more of these, these coach interviews uh, up on Chargers Weekly next week and, and talk more about this schedule release. We'll break this down. Um, I always love looking to see because, you know, the Chargers are going to be in Philly, Baltimore, and Washington this year. So yeah. they're going to have quite a few East Coast trips. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what that's going to look like. Are they going to go back-to-back in Baltimore, Washington, stay out there? Who knows? Um, so it's always fun looking at the schedule. I know fans are excited about it. And that would be great for you because you get to go back home, don't you? Yeah, that would that would be nice. I'm, I'm looking at that uh, that schedule very quickly to see if I could book a trip and, and see family, um, go back to my old stomping grounds in Northern Virginia. There we go. Love that. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Make sure you go check out those interviews with Duke Manningweather uh, and the coach from Duke. So, um, Chris, can't thank you enough for joining us for the second time. Uh, Steve, we you, you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? You're going to find the first version before, <laughs> before you post this one. And then Probably. you just have to make a decision. Then you just have to make a decision. Probably. Well, thanks so much, Chris. We really appreciate you, man. You got it, bud. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.